Ladies and gentlemen, this is entitled Weekend. Well, welcome to Entitled Weekend. It's Championship Weekend, and I don't know about you guys, but uh, I feel like uh, Jeff Pope on Survivor. I kind of feel like I'm waiting for, you know, the right team to lose, so then I could feel totally good about it. I mean, we had a great weekend last weekend with the, the Bills, and I would say even Tampa Bay losing because, you know, with our podcast and the flagship, you know, our podcasts are, are really geared towards media and media hype. And, you know, there's a definitely going to be a lot less of it with these championship games, but uh, I'm looking forward to watching it with, well, <laughs> well, first of all, I could tell you for the first game. Um, and I think you'll, you guys will agree with me. Um, it's all Bengals all the time, right? Lifelong Bengals fan of six days now. Yeah. Huge, huge Bengals guy. hashtag rule hashtag rule the jungle (laughs) hashtag bengals nation let's get it hashtag who day who day yeah absolutely and then uh the other game rams and 49ers it's you know i'm rooting for jimmy g but it's like i don't care i'm I'm the nfc i'm I'm not i'm not as invested so i could care less who's who advances that is you know it's a it's a throwaway I, I'm going to want... say that I'm I'm rooting for the Rams in that. Uh, I, I've always liked Matt Stafford. I'm happy to see him leave Detroit and like kind of get that monkey off his back, to use the Steve Young fucking term of yeah, like ne- never winning in the playoffs, never doing anything other than the regular season. I, I I'd like to see Matt Stafford get to a Super Bowl fucking. I think he deserves it. He put up with uh, like pretty much the definition of football torture. Yeah. So I'm, I'm feeling closer to Shaq, but if the Rams advance, I want Sony Michelle to win Super Bowl MVP. So fucking bad. I want to just end all narratives. I want, you know, Cam Akers showing up to that game, fumbling three times in his first three carries, and then Sony Michelle runs for 200 fucking yards. Like, it's not going to happen because McVay clearly is sticking with Akers, but, like, I want Sony to get a ring and to run that shit and win the MVP if that's the way that goes. Though I wouldn't be upset with Jimmy G either. I think that would be great. That would be so yeah. Yeah, that would be so interesting if Sonny Michelle <laughs> went to a Super Bowl and and what if he scored the only touchdown in Super Bowl in Super Bowl fifty one in Super Bowl fifty three and also in Super Bowl fifty seven? <laughs> that would be that would be pretty amazing. Uh, It'd be incredible. I also I don't want to see the 49ers make it to the Super Bowl just because we if Jimmy Garoppolo makes it back to another Super Bowl, then we're gonna hear from all the morons like Volan. And uh, Hannibal and Curran and all these fucking morons on how all the Patriots probably would have been better if they'd gone with Jimmy G. And it won't matter like how he plays. No, like he I could, mean he could literally throw like six passes in the entire game, 
maybe complete like two of them. And you'd still have Ben Volan tweet. Like if the Patriots had Jimmy Garoppolo, they'd be in the Super Bowl. Well, I mean, Ben Volan wants to hug Bills fans because you know they deserve a hug. So you know, I'd like to hug. No him one, with, I'd yeah, like to hug him with nope. a baseball bat, but you know, no, I'd, no I'd one like, wants you hug Ben Volan. I'd like to, I'd like to punch Ben Volan in the face, but I don't think I'm allowed who, to do that. Who, who is friends with Ben Volan? Like, who? who why would you befriend somebody like that? We we're only like three minutes in. And I'm gonna do the you know bingo card gif. It's the <laughs> one with SpongeBob putting the smiley faces on all his fingers and saying the gang's all here, <laughs> and each finger is a different friend. <laughs> or or you know in in I guess uh, you know you know the viral uh, Elmo and Zoe is going viral now. I'm talking about children's television shows, but uh, you know Zoe has an imaginary friend Ro- Rocco. That's probably Rocco. that's probably Ben's friend, Ben Volan's friend. Rocco. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Hello, Rocco. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I'm not picking up on your reference there. I, I don't know you just Rocco. just go on Twitter and you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. Just put Elmo okay. and Zoe. But uh, but yeah, it's it's. I know really... who Elmo is. I don't know oh, who the fuck. Oh, okay, well, is. well, good. Well, you're half. I mean, there, honestly, man. I know who Elmo is. I haven't been living under a rock for thirty fucking. Well, no, well he, a, he's been talking to a rock for 30 years, so. Right. It's, it's, it's for, for you and for our mothership contingency, that's like a contingent, <laughs> that is a pet, like it's a pet rock situation, except Elmo is frustrated that the pet rock is being seen to have sentient thought. Oh, okay. I'm, uh... if, if you, I'm telling you, go down the rabbit hole, search, search it on Twitter, you will. You won't regret it. I promise you. I mean, you I will have to not. Roll a fat fucking joint to do that. You know? <laughs> Honestly, I I, I, I would imagine. I, I, I imagine that will only help. Um, you know, I believe it, that it would it only help, help a lot. <laughs> the designers of these shows clearly have done exactly that before they come up with the ideas. So you're rolling right into it. So these championship games, like I said, there. I don't think there's really that much to go over because it's. It's. You know, I'm. I'm. I'm whatever with these, but I do want to talk about last week's game, uh, specifically Buffalo and Kansas City, because, uh, you know, if there's one thing, if there's one constant in Kansas City, it's not Patrick Mahomes. It's his godforsaken, whatever she is, wife, girlfriend, you know, significant something, uh, Brittany, Mer- Brittany uh, Mahomes. She is just... Oh my God! If 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 a cat could talk, she'd have Britney's voice. Because first of all, like she's terrible to listen to, and then she's an asshole. And now she's made national headlines because, um, you know, right after the game, you know, the game was, was so emotional and so amazing and unbelievable. But then she's all the way up top at the uh, at the skybox. She opens up a bottle of champagne and starts you know, doing the champagne celebration on fans, on unsuspecting fans. It's 32 degrees. And imagine you in the stadium. We've all been to stadiums before, especially outside cold stadiums. And imagine you're you're getting cold champagne on your back. She's lucky that she that she got out there alive, honestly. Oh, I'm I'm going to speak on... Sorry to cut you off, Bill. No, go for but it. I, I, like, I, I've seen people tweet, there are alcoholics in the crowd. Yeah. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I would fucking hate to have been drenched in alcohol and have had to smell 
alcohol on myself for my entire way home. Do you have a, I can't even, as an alcoholic, I can't even imagine the type of fucking torture that would have been for me mentally. And that's, I loved, I loved alcohol, obviously. And even when I was drinking, I don't think I'd want to get fucking doused in fucking liquor and have to smell it on me. Fucking, I wouldn't want that. And then that's before you factor in that it's fucking cold out and you're just going to be cold and fucking wet now. I, I really, I can't stand this fucking broad. No. So here's the thing. Brittany Matthews is making this all about herself because it's not about the fact that she doused people and it's, not that anybody's like, oh, you obviously doused you. It's not, no one's saying that she had ill intent. No one's saying you doused them because you knew they were alcoholics. No one's going to these crazy lengths. Everyone's just saying you need to show an ounce of humanity and humility and realize you took something a little too far and just say like, hey, my bad. It, humans make mistakes. I think most people, if, if she came out and said, hey, listen, didn't think about it, was excited in the moment. Even people who don't like her, which clearly none of us do would have accepted if she had taken a monochrome of responsibility the fact what she actually said was on twitter i want to do i wish i could do what i want without people attacking me right so you wish you could do whatever you want without fucking consequences wow that's exactly what she's saying and that made her my life too that's yeah and then to top that off the whole partnering with an, with a, a t-shirt company, not like a organization that is involved with bullying. She's partnering with a t-shirt organization. And then they're saying part of the proceeds of a shirt that it says, you know, Team Brittany will be donated to bullying stuff because she's she's trying to infer that she is being bullied. I worked in a school for a number of years. Do you know how hard it is? to actually have a bullying charge go forward, near impossible. And the reason for it is it's almost impossible to prove that there is a power dynamic where one student has power over another student. And that's the most traditional world in which you're going to hear the word bullying is the school environment. There's a power dynamic that is required of bullying. If anything, she's in a power dynamic where she has more power because she could bury anybody she wanted in social media. In this situation, she's the bully. Right. And she doesn't. And and again, I don't think she had ill intent, but her lack of awareness of what she did, her lack of apology when people are pointing it out is what's drawing this ire. And that's just called, as you said, Steve, consequences. Those are the consequences of her actions for acting in a way that was just neglecting to understand what the wants of the other people you are dousing with champagne or whatever the alcohol was might be and focusing on what that was doing for you in terms of your own personal satisfaction. It was selfish. That's, that's what it was. It was selfish and it was about joy for her. And that's fine. If it's not impacting others, if she had had one monochrome of humility to own up to this, this would not even be a topic on this podcast today. Instead, she's doubling down and saying that she's being bullied. And to me, that is the biggest straw man bullshit argument in the world. And it makes her just even more unlikable than she was previously. And it doesn't mean that like you can be unlikable and people aren't bullying you. People don't like me. 
There are people on Twitter that don't like any of us, and there are people that will let us know. Yeah, for go figure. But you know what? They're not bullying. They're not bullying us. They're giving us their fucking opinion. They're entitled to it. This is entitled weekend. They're entitled to their opinion. But you know what? It's completely wrong. Even when it's completely wrong, they're entitled to it. So we're entitled to not like somebody that's allowed. It's not Although I am, working, not like I, am, I am working on taking away their right to have an opinion when they're, when they're that bad. Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, talk. I, I'm talk to, you know, we need some an amendment. People will not be allowed to have an opinion on some things. I, I will. I will say that. I mean, certainly there are there are instances where maybe an opinion should be best left silent. Um, <laughs> but but I'll, but what all I'm saying is that if she just put a monochrome of humility towards this and said, you know what. I don't like the feedback I'm getting, but at the same time, I understand maybe I should have chilled out a little bit. And in the future, I'm not going to spray champagne on people. What she I says that, not a topic. What I don't like about, and I hate using this word because it's, uh, again, another overused word, but it just shows how privileged she is. It's, it's, you're so privileged that you don't even know, uh, you're in your own bubble that you don't even know how this would affect. And I just go back to, Thank God there are there, none of the Patriots players have these types of, of, of significant others anymore. I mean, yeah, you could compare, you know, Giselle or or something, but they just there's just no comparison as far as as far as this woman and and others. Like just and and then not to mention his brother. Oh my goodness, I can't tell who's the, which one is worse because it, it's every single time they win a game they're well they're, i mean i i, I think they almost like compete with each other on like who can be the most fucking cringy every week it seems like one week it's it's britney's turn and then the next week it's jackson's turn at the same time i'm sitting here like torn between i actually want to like patrick mahomes i like him but i, I do too I, yeah. like i i like the, i do like the kid and i don't have any reasons not to like the kid it's his except for his fans, his brother, and uh, the girlfriend thing. See, now when I say I when I say I like Patrick Mahomes, I don't want him to have success because of them. Now, see, there's a difference yes. between me liking him and me saying that oh, I want him to be successful. Oh no, I want him to crash and burn on, on uh, Sunday on Sunday afternoon. I want Joe Burrow to throw five thousand yards uh, in one game mm-hmm. and ninety touchdowns to to Jamar Chase. That's what I want to happen, but. As far as Mahomes, as far as the family goes, it's just an unbelievable, uh, you know, they're, they're doing it for the clout. I know a lot of it has to do, they're doing it for the clout and they want attention. And it, it's, I, I, again, thank God that that's not happening along with, with the Patriots. You know, there's, uh, you know, a, a person standing there and, and wants, wants, wants to get clout for, for their player. But anyway, let's get to some uh, happier news and well-deserved news. Uh, Bill Belichick, for the first time in his career, has won the PFWA and Writers Executive of the Year. And I mean, for those of us on this podcast and the flagship podcast and those of you all listening, um, it doesn't come to any surprise to you that he would win this award at this time. Um, He probably should should have about like eight of these, but um, when you- It shouldn't come with surprise because I actually- told people months ago that Bill Belichick was executive of the year. And everyone disagreed with me. But I, I never actually thought he'd win it because like the media doesn't like Bill Belichick. I can't believe that actually 
use logic and reason in, in voting for something like this. But I, well, of course, of course I, I mean, there was obviously you could value the Rams GM did a pretty good job. You could maybe you could say like the Cowboys GM, but I mean, Belichick did an absolutely incredible job. He didn't just draft draft right. He also killed, nailed it in free agency. He nailed it on both sides. You know, free I, I think, agency yeah. and the draft. It's very rare to actually see a coach nail both free agency and the draft in the same offseason. I, I would just add to that, that I think it's always been, what's been a strength of Belichick's that is underrated. And I know we might pivot to this in a few minutes, Jack, about other years. But it's about understanding who to keep and who to let go as an underrated component of sort of being an executive. It's mm-hmm. not only who you acquire, it's who you let depart. And if you look at like the defense, as much as they, you know, shit the bed in the, in the wild card round, the defense had great numbers without Stefan Gilmore. They let Stefan Gilmore leave to another team mid-year and got draft capital for him and did not suffer the dip that they expected. And I think a lot of us, you know, obviously it would have been nice to have Mills. Obviously if you had Gilmore there, it's a different type of game. Um, but it's not, you know, no one thinks, Oh, if you have Gilmore, you're winning against Buffalo in that game. So you let you, you maximized what you brought in and got draft assets for something that you were letting out the door. And that's always been a strength of Belichick's to know who can leave, who can be replaced and who should be re-upped. And that's, I, I, I think that cannot be overstated. I would go back to 07 as an example of another year he should have won. Um, the concept of bringing Moss and Welker together along with Brady. I don't understand how he didn't win that year. That makes no sense to me. He re-upped that team in a way that was unfathomable. The fact he didn't win that award in 07 is a, is a tragedy to me. Um, but it's, you know, definitely, I think we'll look more historical at other points in the pod today. But Belichick well deserved this in many years. And I'm glad they gave it to him this year. Cause I think that a lot of his strengths as an executive are underrated because they're not the sexy play. They're not the big splash free agent. They're not the, you know, knock it out of the park, you know, pro bowl or draft pick every single year. Um, though this year, obviously there are players that were worthy of consideration for that. And see this year there, and this is where a lot of people, you know, media idiots and, and some idiot fans are going to say, Oh, well, he spent a lot of money, so that's why he oh he gets the award because he spent a lot of money. Well, when you look at the totality of the offseason, when you obviously Matt Jones it comes at the forefront, but then you have Christian Barmore, you have Ramondre Stevenson, all draft picks, who all had huge impacts on the team as rookies, and then you have Hunter Henry, Matthew Judon, and of course you have uh, Kendrick Bourne, you have. Uh, Mills, you have Godshow, you have Ted Karras, all worth the money. And for me, uh, Aguilar and even Jonathan Smith, it's been a little, it's been, you know, it's been one season. You know, I think it's early to, to, to say, oh, it's a bad result. And of course, trading for Trent Brown, that was a huge, a huge deal to do that. And bringing back James White, who, and I was, and I was talking to somebody about this, James White, was missed a lot. Thank God for Brandon Bolden and mm-hmm. the fact that he was able to step up in his place and in his stead. But James White and Mac had something going in the beginning of the season that as soon as James White got hurt, it was lost for a little bit, but then it recovered because of Brandon Bolden. But 
you know, he was brought back. And then uh, don't forget, Marcus Cannon was un- unloaded this se- this offseason. And wow, they gained picks back. So, you know, I, let's I don't also think add. Yeah. J- uh, D- add David Andrews to the list of re-ups. Um, right. After they signed Karras, and people assumed that Karras coming back meant that Andrews was gone. You can go back and find a copious amount of media tweets that say, you know, that that's going to push Andrews out the door, and that became two of your five starters on the line with Karras and Andrews. Um, so that's that's another like underrated Belichick savvy play. Yeah. So I want to go to um, in contrast to this, I want to talk about. Uh, you know, since Bill Belichick was, you know, he was named uh, executive of the year, um, we can talk about one of those years. And the flagship guys are doing a great job of recapping the 2001 uh, playoff run. And uh, we'll next week we'll talk about uh, since they're going to talk about the Super Bowl, we have to talk about the Super Bowl too. Since, since you know, you never forget your first, but uh, we have to talk about 2001 in particular because that year, and I always. I always try to stress this to anybody who likes to doubt uh, Belichick's, Belichick's success in that 2000-2001 range. 2001 was a uh, it was a transitional year in many ways because you just come off 2000, you know, five and eleven, all these players going, and Belichick now inserting his guys in. And Bill, talk about like all the changes that was that were made. Uh, especially in the off season going into the season and during the season. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, your obvious, you know, your obvious change is, you know, the coaching change with the changing of the guard, you know, the coaching decision to change from um, Bledsoe to Brady and stick with that. Um, But I think that what you need to understand about Belichick and as well, give a modicum of credit to P Carroll is the re-upping of the right players for that roster in 2001 to be able to make that run, keeping Brewski, keeping Ty Law, because those were not players on their rookie contracts anymore. Bill Parcells did not draft this team. He drafted those players and they had to be re-signed by a new regime. This is not the same as getting a rookie player on a rookie contract and having them, and it's not, it's cost efficient to keep them. So they made the right decisions, pushed the right buttons at the right time with the right players, um, you know, and maximized assets that hadn't necessarily been maximized before in new and creative ways. Troy Brown had a great year in 2001. The guys are covering that very well, but like positioning him in the right way, utilizing him in the slot, utilizing him as a pump returner, utilizing him in ways that, you know, he was used to an extent, but highlighting some strengths, building that core special teams out so that returns are more impactful, Um, you know, and then even looking a little bit beyond 2001, when you look at like what made the first three Super Bowl championships happen, it was still walking away from the right players at the right time. Lawyer Malloy, People were up in arms. Lawyer Malloy was not brought back yep. and went to Buffalo. They And I remember, I believe it was the first game that Lawyer Malloy was playing. Coach. They hate their coach. Damn right. Um, and so Lawyer Malloy, you know, I believe there was a, a Buffalo revenge game for Lawyer Malloy super early in um, the first season he was with Buffalo. Um, but they set up, re-upped, and found a way to win two more Super Bowls because they were not spending their money, not spending the salary cap, which people remember, I forget was sort of a lot more restrictive in 2001, 2000, 
two through like 2007, eight before it was really, you know, fudged around in the way it is now. And every team had like a real big cap numbers guy. They had to make determinations to walk away from the right people and then drafting players like Vince Wilfork to keep things going, making sure you have players like Matt light on your roster. Like there was just a rotation of good players coming in and even good players leaving, but knowing that they had a good replacement or a plan to replace it, or they were redesigning the way that the team was going to operate to not require them. So that whole first three-year run was a testament to Belichick's executive ability as much as it was his coaching. And to take nothing away from Tom Brady as the greatest quarterback of all time, but those first two rings in particular were not ones that were Super Bowls won on the arm of Tom Brady. They were won on the depth of the Patriots roster, the defense, and the coaching and executive prowess of Bill Belichick. I mean, if you want to talk about um, for the, those first few years, like you said, like you said, Matt Light drafted in the first round. Uh, Ron Burgess just thought it was a terrible pick. Like you thought Richard Seymour was a terrible pick. Turns out you probably don't win those first three Super Bowls without either of those players. Yeah, um, Matt Light. Matt Light was forty eighth overall. He was a second round pick. Same draft as Seymour. It's also, I mean, you you signed, you brought in Rodney Harrison, San Diego, dirtiest player in the game. Just uh, th- there's an awesome story that I've heard about. He brought Rodney in. He, brought him to eat at the ground round and just said, I want to win Super Bowls. That's, and that's why Rodney Harrison signed with the Patriots because it was so straightforward. It was yep. so straightforward instead of all the bullshit. I just, I just want to win. I, I, I mean, what, what Belichick's done as a GM over the last 20 years is it's, it's remarkable. Right. I mean, I'm just, I'm toggling through some pages of draft picks from the first couple of seasons. Um, looking at the 2003 draft, there's not the player that's like, oh my God, 15 year Patriot Hall of Famer. But you look at this draft and they were key players for a long time. Ty Warren was a solid player. Yeah. Asante, you know, he was a first round pick, 13th overall. Maybe, you know, did he produce to the extent that you'd hope a 13th? overall pick does maybe not but he was still a solid contributor to the team you also in that same draft got asante samuel 120th overall dan copen 164th and tully bantacane 239th like you those are the moves that people just do not think about when they're talking about belichick and they're talking about his ability as a gm they're not thinking about the depth that he's bringing in if you look at 02 daniel graham was a solid contributor for a, a while dion branch you know jarvis green was solid david givens in the seventh round again solid contributors all through that draft in addition to getting players like your Rodney Harrisons in the, you know, in free agency. And then of course that first draft, you know, that one draft with Seymour and light really, you're not, you didn't get a ton of depth out of that draft, but you definitely got a lot of, you know, solid, you got two top flight players. Yeah. And I mean, and so you brought up um, Asante Samuel, Taiwan. I love Taiwan. Asante Samuel, 120th overall. Yeah, and also an asshole. Yes. Yeah, an asshole who has no uh, who has no qualms about anything. 
But yeah, but I mean, dude, <laughs> if he doesn't drop that interception in 06 against the Colts, and he was a solid, yeah, he was a solid contributor. We're probably talking Asante Samuel is all famous, right? And then to and then the bridge, the bridge year between the two dynasties was that 04 draft that started with Vince Woolfork and Ben Watson. Like, it, what are we doing here when we're not talking about Bill Belichick as a solid executive? But just going he, back to 2001, and I found a great article from, of course, none other than Mike Reese. Um, this was his haul in 2001 in the offseason. These were just free agents. Um, Terrell Buckley, cornerback, Mike Compton, who was the guard. Brian Cox, the linebacker, Mark yep. Edwards, the fullback, Damon Heward, quarterback. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Larry Izzo, linebacker, very key in special teams. David Patton, may rest in peace. Uh, Roman Pfeiffer, Anthony Pleasant, Antoine Smith, and Mike Vrabel. I mean, that free agent cl- that was the whole free agent class in 2001. Like- and Mike Vrabel, to touch on, was a guy that Pittsburgh – Caught Pittsburgh didn't think he was any good. Mm-hmm. Correct. But Pitt- Pittsburgh had no use for him. Belichick turned him into like the most efficient tight end and then fucking Super Bowl history. Absolutely. I mean, you've got and you've got like you know your Antoine Swiss, your Larry Izzo's. Like those players are just so integral to what happened with this team over a number of years. Roman Pfeiffer. You know, like, yeah. like Roman Pfeiffer and all like this, right like, like these, these are all moves that people and the, like when you're talking about it historically, are we talking about historically great players, Hall of Fame caliber players? Most of them no. But are we talking about players who like literally define that whole do your job thing that built the culture that 20 years of success were built on? Absolutely. Did these guys shape the mentality that Tom Brady brings into some of these games? In some ways they did. And that's the thing is like, People love this whole Brady Belichick debate. And I always come back to, yep, it's a fake debate. And the, the reason it's fake is that Belichick has always said players win championships. You know, it's all about the players on the field. Belichick invested 20 years in Tom Brady. He left, he lost 20 years of investment in Tom Brady when he walked out the door. Tom Brady didn't lose 20 years of Bill Belichick's coaching, he brought that with him to his new location. Like, it's not like he got, you know, men in black memory wiped. The Patriots aren't that good. You know, people, you know, people have their conspiracy theories. They aren't that deep. And so people got memory wiped, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But that's the nature of, you know, that's the nature of the game here is that like Belichick, it's a fake debate because of that. But like when you're looking at like what helped make Tom Brady, Tom Brady, his, he will always credit his teammates. And the players that Bill Belichick brought in as an executive gave Tom Brady the teammates that helped frame who he is. And that's something that is criminally underrated about Bill Belichick within this entire dynasty is that, you know, he, he was integral to setting the culture, setting the tone, developing the greatest quarterback that's ever played the game, and then maintaining that success over a length of time that is unprecedented in a free agent salary capped era. There's going to be a theme that you will notice here with these uh, next few topics that we're going to talk about because they're all intertwined with this one because this 2001 free agency uh, thing and what you just said about Tom Brady uh, getting all of these uh, qualities from these players who came in, uh, 
And now people being memory white because he's in Tampa Bay and he's wearing, basically he's wearing a different color uniform. So now uh, everybody loves Tom Brady now. Everyone loves Tom Brady, just like everybody loves Raymond. But now uh, I, I sent you guys a tweet uh, last week uh, from Gerald McCoy and it really kind of irked me. It really shouldn't have, but it just pissed me off because it's just another example of if if this if he was a patriot, it wouldn't this wouldn't even be a discussion. But this is all this is all in rumors. All the rumors of you know the the flagship guys talk about uh, the Tom Brady retirement rumors, and I'm not gonna I don't want to you know go uh, debating all of that and saying oh is it true or is it not. Um, but Joe McCoy says. Man, I don't know what TB12 is going to do. Oh, I don't know what TB12 going to do, but I pray he plays one last season. Announce it so we can all give him the send-off he deserves. He is unmatched, and I think every stadium he touches next season should let him know that. He deserves the proper send-off. Now, first of all, I don't think that's – and he said it in his podcast. I don't think that's in his nature. I don't think he wants to do something like that. I don't think he wants to dirt jeter it up and have every stadium give him a standing ovation and have every stadium give him a, you know, like a, like a case of Buffalo wings or whatever. I don't think, I don't think he's that kind of a guy, but this would have never happened if he was a Patriot. <laughs> I can tell you that much. People do. People, yeah, there no, are no, so no. many more. There are so many more people who like him now and that's great. Good for him. There are so many people who like him now that he is a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. And I think a lot of that has to do with Belichick as well. People don't like Belichick, so Brady was their conduit for the for the 20 years that he was there. But now that he's gone, they're they're free to like him and 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 to kiss his ass. And I think this is exactly uh, an example of that. Yeah, it is. I mean, you're getting down to it. I'm you know I don't want to get like like you said. I don't want to get into the is it true is it not thing. I would be stunned if it's in his DNA to like announce it. But the issue he has now is that if he announces he's coming back, everyone's assuming this is it because that's, you know, play till I'm age 45. It's been the mantra for a long time. And if he retires, he can say, I didn't say play through 45. I said, play till 45. Mm-hmm. I, t- I turned I, 45 before you know, another NFL game. That wiggle room there. He hey, did. Te- he, he, it's true. He he turns forty five in August, so right. And it's people not forget in the season, yeah, right? People and people keep saying that to me. No, he said he's going to play until he's forty five. I'm like, yeah, he's going to be forty five before next season. He didn't say I'm going right. to play when I'm forty five, right? And it's, I'm going to play until I'm forty five when I'm sixty four. People just have this energy that's like they don't. They, for, they forget, guys. Adam Schefter was very nice to tell us at six thirty on Sunday morning that Tom Brady may or may not retire. <gasps> Big if true, either way. Yeah. <laughs> so six thirty yeah. on a Sunday. That's what he yep. tweeted out. Tom Brady will just will think about retire, but. Uh, so is he is he really going to do one of those decision specials like LeBron? Is he going to really no. have? Have like five hats there, and then have like a blank hat that's saying "I'm retiring." Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> I really hope not, but it's possible now. Yeah. No, I just, I, I think that he's gonna like that has to now be part of the equation for him that this got out. 
is that if he does not retire, people know this is like it. it we're all sort of in agreement. I, I would imagine on this pod that if he comes back next year, it's it. Like next year is the last I, year. I, I think it's got to be. And I, I mean, honestly, I think this was it. I don't want to talk. Like I don't want to talk too much about it. I think no. this was it. I think I think something went wrong in Tampa this year. I, I wouldn't. I, don't, I, don't I, I can tell you what that something again. is, Bruce Arians. <laughs> I mean, I yes, can tell you what that what that is. That team is holistically worse next season. There's not a lot of ways to bring back the same roster. So unless you nail the draft, you're not bringing back that same team. The odds are very likely you're not bringing back Chris Godwin. You don't have Antonio Brown. I think Gronk. I think Brady is aware that Gronk at this stage in his career, and this is no insult to Gronk is damaged goods. He's, you know, he's not what he used to be. And he's one hit away from missing four weeks. Like he's fragile. And that's not, you know, that's just a year of years and years of accumulating hits, which we knew from new England. He did that for so many years here and was so, you know, and left like that happens, but that team is not getting better. That team is not getting better. And so if he, no. if it's going to be Tampa or retire, Unless they make some moves and really hamstring themselves salary cap wise in the future, which they could do, then there then I think Brady might very well step away. But there's a lot of considerations to be had there. And I think that, you know, whether it be the home stuff with, with you know, Super G or whether it be, you know, the the roster in Tampa or all of those factors, or it's just not as fun as it used to be. He proved what he needed to prove. He's played it through age 45. People forget that you don't turn one until you've lived on this earth for one year. He is, you know, he will turn 45 after he's lived 45 years. He played football in his 45th year on earth. He's done what he told you he would do. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, it's, it's interesting, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm out of the loop. I, don't, I could care less if he does, if he does, He's not going to make a big deal out of it. So don't expect that. And, and anybody who you mentioned, you must not know Tom Brady if you think that that's what you think he'll do, because, yeah, that's not going to happen. No, he it's, gonna, he's, he's, not, here. He, he's not he's not wired that way. Uh, you guys are going to like this news not to go off topic. Uh, the Giants are working on hiring uh, Brian Dable. It's, it's, it's looking like Brian Dable will go to the Giants. Uh, so the uh, so the Bills are going to lose Brian Dable and keep Leslie Frazier. That's great. That's excellent. Brilliant party. Happy Friday, boys. <laughs> yep. No, I think that's. I mean, that's huge. Um, I, I I think they. I think that's an interesting get for them as well. I think that's an interesting get for the Giants. I think Dable's really good. Uh, you know, let's I not forget. I, think, I, I give Dable a lot of credit for the. Yeah, he um, improved Josh Allen a lot. Yep. Yeah. I wonder what coaching tree he comes from. I wonder what coaching tree he comes from. Not the Belichick coaching tree because only failure is Absolutely not tree. the Belichick coaching tree. Bel- it's Sean McDermott coaching tree. Yeah, no. Sean no, McDermott I can't. coaching tree starts now. Yeah, no. Belichick gets no credit for the guy that started on his staff. Nope, nope. He's now a part of the Sean McDermott coaching tree. Yep, that's, that's really interesting. But that that's huge. That's a, that's a big that's a big uh, loss for the Bills. So another loss. They've taken two in in one week. Perfect. Um, Did they finalize the contract in thirteen seconds? 
Dude, 13 seconds jokes are like my new uh, They're the thing. new 28 to 3. Yeah, I'm really better because like I like seeing Bills fans cry more than I like seeing Falcons fans cry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm really glad that there wasn't a new 28 to 3 based on the Rams Buccaneers game last oh, week. Oh god. Yeah, that that, was, that would have been I, that would have taken me over the edge, honestly. I thought and, he was gonna fucking do it again too, dude. I, I mean, and that's the thing. I I, I have not I been reading against my, Brady. I was texting my partner with Blue Collar Ernest, and I'm, he's gonna fucking do this again, dude. The one fucking time I'm rooting against this guy in the fucking playoffs, <laughs> he's gonna pull off that comeback, and I can't even fucking enjoy it. And yeah, he didn't. I was I was happy that it didn't. I have not been a guy that's rooting against Brady. I have no problem. Like, I'm like, if Brady wants to win, like, you do you. I see you at the red jacket ceremony, but, like, I'm happy if he has success. But I'm sorry, Buccaneers fans, you do not get 28 to 3. We earned that out of having him for two decades. You do not get it in two years. You do not get 28 to 3. You don't get that level of comeback in the playoffs. That's our thing, and we're keeping it. Yeah, that's, that's my pitch. Thing so, I'm gonna move, I'm gonna move on to uh, well, I, the uh, younger version person portion of the program and you know p- please forgive me those of you who are 40 plus um it goes down in the DMs as Yogati says and it's it was true this week because uh, Vinny Jace who's been away from the Entitled Podcast Network for a little while he he's back with a vengeance and uh, you heard his wonderful email on the flagship earlier this week and uh him and i were having a great discussion in the dm on twitter and i want to read part of his message and i also want to uh, another part of his message i want to talk about uh, but i'll read this he says i hate bothering you with my patriots takes but i find it wild i talk to people who really think 2001 brady was the sole reason they won that the title that year despite him scoring just two touchdowns, one of them a rush, another one of them to David Patton, which maybe Patton saved because it looked too high. So even if Jones never is elite, referring to Mac Jones, there is a history of teams winning a title with a quarterback that isn't the, vo- the focal, I think he meant focal, focal part of your offense. And that's exactly right. And there are so many people for whatever reason, and I just, but I find it hilarious that, there are so many people trying to discredit Matt Jones because I think, and this is just me saying this, I think it's fear and concern that they know that Matt Jones is really good and they know that he, he does have room to improve. And this is just their coping mechanism. Their ways of saying, oh, he's not very good. He's going to be, he has, his, he's already, his, you know, all this, all this ceiling talk. Oh, he's not going to hit his ceiling. He's already there. He's he's not going to. He can't only reached the ceiling in his first fucking eighteen career fucking starts in the NFL. He already it, reached it's, the a, it's a coping mechanism. They're not ready to see the Patriots be back to Patriots football. It's and, amazing. That guy and, and they're already there. Reached his ceiling in his first fucking season, huh? Yeah, they're already there. Yeah, Peyton Peyton Manning never got better after he led the league in fucking interceptions his rookie year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, listen, I'm just going to highlight, obviously, you know, in in today's NFL, you've got to if your QB 
is a high level QB, it does improve your chances. Like if you're you get a top five quarterback, you have an improved chance. But here are some of the recent quarterbacks in the last, let's say, 10 years. You've got your Tom Brady's and your Patrick Mahomes and your Peyton Manning's, your Russell Wilson's. Here are some of the other starters. Jimmy Garoppolo, who's one win away from going a second time. Jared Goff, Nick Foles, Matt Ryan, very good quarterback, but let's not put, you know, let's not pretend he was ever anything above like a top seven to 10 quarterback in the league. Even the year he won MVP, great year, but like that doesn't mean that that was who he was as a career, you know, a career player. Um, Then you've got, you know, Colin Kaepernick versus Joe Flacco as a head to head matchup. Your Eli Mannings come in at that point, like 2008 Kurt Warner. 2008 Kurt Warner. We're not talking greatest show on turf. We're talking Arizona Cardinals 08. Like Rex Grossman in 2006. Like, come on. I'm not saying that you are, you know, in a better position with a mediocre quarterback. But what I'm saying is if I'm able to rattle off seven to 10 names out of the 30, you know, quarterbacks there, it tells me that there's a reasonable chance for teams that are built other than around a, a franchise quarterback to win Super Bowls and to go to Super Bowls. Yeah. And, and, and what I, what I find interesting and, and, and Vinny and I, we started uh, snowballing from that discussion about Mac and how fearful people really are to people just love rooting for players. And that's fine. Look, we all have our favorite players. We all have guys who we gravitate towards you know, as Patriot, as, yes, Patriots fans, as football fans, but lifelong Bengals become, fan of six days. Yeah, exactly. So, but people don't like to root for teams anymore, and, and and that's something I've really noticed, especially on Twitter, on social media. People don't root for teams; they root for moments, they root for players, they root for arm strength, they root for the the highlight plays, the highlight reel, instead of rooting for team. And it, it, the only thing they want to see is their agenda. Their agenda. Uh, realized and the, the sausage making doesn't interest them it's to me it's the madnization and and the fantasy fantasization of football now i play fantasy football and i i i used to play madden before it you know became crappy but there's there's always one player on the cover it's about qb1 wr3 flex players the team aspect is never involved in those things and it's always about who's better who's highly rated and who has more stats. So you can't appreciate these guys who aren't big time names because you're always throwing to the elite wideouts. And that's, that's what was going on in the, in the bills chiefs game. It's always the last thing I saw type of thing. You're not throwing the two of Jacoby Myers on Madden because he's, he's, he's rated what 75. So you never really think about him and he's terrible because you don't want to play him. And you would never draft him in the fantasy draft because he'd, he'd be like a free agent pickup. And if that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just that the it's also that the sexy play has taken over the concept of solid team football. I mean, no one. I mean, when you're playing Madden, and I still play Madden, even though it's crappy. Um, but when you, you're still playing Madden, the best strategy you can have is to let people run on you. Because they won't do it, you know, they won't do it as a sustained thing unless they're like the elite of elite players in Madden. 
because they want to do the sexy play. They want to make the deep pass to Tyree kill. They want to do these like, you know, deep crossing on the run throws because that's the sexy play when they see, uh, you know, when they, they want to be able to send the clip to their friends of the player that's on their fantasy team, making an 80 yard touchdown run and the, you know, the circus run and the juke moves and everything, but they don't care that the person got averaged two yards a carry outside of that because they just, you know, fell forward every time. It's just this whole like the sexy play has taken over anything to do with understanding of roster building, understanding of, you know, technique in the game, credit to offensive and defensive linemen, unless their name is, you know, Aaron Donald, you know, you got one or, or a Bosa. It's one or two guys that you're really like giving credit to. And it's just become this bastardization of the game where it's like people should know the starting offensive line for a lot of these teams. You know, if you're rooting for a team and like, you know, invested, like I'm not saying that everybody who watches football on Sunday is deeply invested, but if you're like, uh, like an invested fan, you should know your offensive line. It shouldn't just be like the sexy play and the twirly do and everything. You should know your offensive line and what they're good at. And like, that's a, that's sort of a next level of like understanding the game of football. My mother's favorite Patriot, Logan Mankins, like that, like, it's like it's just it gives you another layer of enjoyment for the game that I don't think people understand is there right now and if they understood sort of like the structure of what you're building from the trenches out they would have much more interest in the game as a whole as opposed to the most exciting play in like one or two individual players it's basketball it really is it's become ISO ISO offense yeah and and in fantasy people get mad at Bill Belichick you know, all the time because he uses multiple running backs, you know, running back by committee instead of doing the Derrick Henry thing and running him, you know, 250 carries, 300 carries a season. And look what happened to Derrick Henry. I mean, who, who was healthy for your fantasy playoffs, Ramondre yeah. Stevenson and Damian Harris, or was it, you know, Derrick Henry? Right. And Rabel, I, I, I'm not going to say Rabel caused the injury. But he did ride him a lot. I mean, he no- did like he didn't cause the injury, but he you can't especially as with somebody who's had the traction and the number of miles Derrick Henry has had. You can't do that to players year in, year out and expect to get the same results. It's too violent a game right now, you know, especially for people that are are running backs who are more prone. There's not like defenseless running back hit penalties. They are much more subject to the hardest of hits in the game. And one more thing from Vinny Jace before final thoughts. Um, he and he and he brought again Vinny Jace. You you knocked it out of the park and you spurred spurred the interest of many topics on the show today. Um, the Patriots and I agree with him when he says this. They made me want to be a smarter fan, and that's that's exactly right because the Patriots have always taught me to prioritize. What 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 do you prioritize when you're building a team? And a lot of that is, first of all, the offensive line and special teams. Fix the trenches. Fix the special teams. The special teams, if we're being honest, was not up to par this season. And that was, you know, say for Nick Folk. You know, and that, was, and that was a big difference in what, you know, a lot of these games this season. And so, you know, you had teams like the Dolphins trade up for Waddle, who's a great player, but, you know, is he really worth the capital that they gave up? You know, and... Look, the Bengals, they drafted Chase, 
you know, I, I, I wasn't a fan of it, but look, look at what happened. You know, you, you have to realize what, what your needs are for your team, not just the, the, the need that just explodes, you know, make, make, make you make your bodily fluids explode. You know what I mean? And look, Belichick drafts Kyle Duggar, a D2 guy. And, you know, everybody's like, what school did he come from? Lenore what? Lenore Ryan? What is that? Is that, is that a, 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 a restaurant? Like, what is that? But Kyle Duggar, I would say he's probably the most sure tackle on, on the defense, especially the secondary. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the nature of the game. I mean, you're looking at, it does make you a smarter fan when you're, uh, when you see good team building. And then you can respect good team building when you see it. I do have to give a lot of credit to the Chiefs in their offseason reinventing their offensive line, specifically going out and paying Joe Tooney. That was a great move for that yeah. team. For a team that could have very easily said, we want to re-up weapons, you know, weapons season and all this, they spent draft capital and they spent free agent dollars to shore up that offensive line in front of a talented quarterback. That's what they needed to do. And that's why they're back in this position. If that offensive line was not where it is right now, mm-hmm. you're more than likely dealing with Mahomes being more banged up. Um, they definitely don't beat the bills this past week weekend without that offensive line reshuffle. You got to give that credit. You got to give the 49ers credit for the way that they utilize their offensive linemen. Um, we talked a lot about the sixth offensive lineman use, seeing their best offensive lineman lined up as a fullback. At certain in certain plays for the 49ers, beyond impressive, great use. It's like you see all this stuff with guys that, you know, it's going to go unrecognized on the stat sheet. But being around a team that was so good for so long allows us to appreciate that about other teams and be able to give that credit to them. And I think that's something that people miss about Patriots, you know, fandom over the last 20 years, especially for people who, you know, sort of saw some rough teams before the good teams you now see what a good team being built looks like and you can sort of understand what teams are trending in the right direction it's really an impressive component yeah so uh i'm gonna go to final thoughts now and uh i'm gonna have you go last but i'll go first because well it's going to be part of I guess I, I have a feeling what you're going to say, but I'm going to go first because um, it's going to lead into what you're going to say, Bill. Uh, we, we all know about the Hall of Fame vote for baseball and David Ortiz made the Hall of Fame, but <laughs> there's this guy and I don't even want to mention his name because if I mention his name, it's going to just make my, ugh, it's going to make me shiver. Uh, Rob Parker uh, was on uh, MLB Network um, last week and said that he didn't vote for David Ortiz because there are gray areas with PEDs. And then they revealed his ballot. And guess who it had on there? Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Sammy Sosa. Now, what that tells me is that. <laughs> First of all, this Hall of Fame, and I'm glad that David Ortiz made it, but it just emphasizes the point of feeling for me that these Hall of Fames are bogus and they're bullshit, especially when they have these writers who are, they're biased and they're not, they're, they're, there's no, 
there's no uh, objectiveness to what they voted and they just do it just just and clearly this was done just so he could trend on twitter and just so he could trend on the internet like you you wasted a ballot just so you could do this and first of all I, I, it, it, it's really annoying and it's unbelievable so with these hall of fames i'll just say this um again i'm, I'm rooting for richard seymour i hope he makes it he deserves to make it but I'm not holding out hope because these writers are are very devoted to their take and they're devoted to making it all about them. And until these Hall of Fame writers are, are purged and you have new people in there who are invested in the sports they cover instead of just being uh, affected by the take, then these Hall of Fames are not worth visiting. And I, I again, I suggest you visit the Patriots Hall of Fame because that's a Hall of Fame that actually you can learn something and you can appreciate history of, of the sport and of, well, probably the greatest franchise ever in professional sports. So, uh, Steve, how about you? What's your final thought? Um, my final thought is enough about the fucking overtime rules. Enough. Like, a, a, would we want to play the game until the Bills won? I, instead of talking about how Patrick Mahomes just doesn't fucking blink with 13 seconds left, or about how the Bills choked the game with 13 seconds left, we're talking about how the fucking the rules are wrong. Blame the defense, not the rule book. You let a team go down the field in fucking 13 seconds, dude. Blame your defense. And then on top of that, it's fucking Emmanuel Acho there from ESPN. Was the Falcons lost a Super Bowl in 2016 because of these overtime rules. That's why they lost that Super Bowl, not because of the 25-point lead that they had with two minutes left of the third quarter. Really? Yeah, nothing to do with not holding a fucking lead. Well, that's it. That's why, all I got. why? Why isn't that guy just hosting The Bachelor and staying away from sports? Because he's he's just the worst. So yeah, uh, I can't see. Yeah, he he's terrible. And these again, it, we 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 had this experience as Patriot fans in 2018, and to me, it's just it's just so. Uh, it's pretty funny, you know. The over these this whole discussion is is not really about the overtime rules. It's about the team that I was rooting for lost, and so because of that, I want the rules changed. Not it's not it's not about uh, fairness at all. It's about the team that, that I was rooting for lost. So, you know, deal with it, people. Uh, Bill, your final thought. So, Shaq, you're spot on, and we we didn't discuss this beforehand, but I'm definitely going in on the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, and there's a few aspects to it, and I'm going to weave in personal st- personal stories along with sort of the understanding of the main point, which is this. The media that currently votes for the Baseball Hall of Fame has a childhood love for the players that are currently in and are gatekeeping the next generation of athletes from getting in because they see them as human and they see the people that came before them as their childhood icons. They are just ignoring the fact that every generation 
has had significant issues in baseball, whether they be, you know, drug addictions, alcohol addictions, criminals, cheating scandals, betting, what have you. There's always been something and there's always been a pretty wide acceptance to let people in if they are the greatest of the great in the sport. So looking at this, they're ignoring things like my father. My father passed in 2005. He was a lifelong Red Sox fan. And obviously, you know, he was about 45 when he passed. And when he did, the it was about a month before the Red Sox were going to be usurped by another team winning the World Series. So the Red Sox were actively still the world champions when he passed. So he got to see one of those in his life. And the main person in the batting order for that team was David Ortiz. David Ortiz gave my late father the championship he had waited for his entire life. To me, growing up, uh, you know, when I was an 18-year-old kid when he passed. So to me, that made David Ortiz an icon. I actually watched the results come out for this Hall of Fame. I've never done that. I watched the live show. I gave them ratings because I didn't care. And I welled up when Ortiz got in because it was so impactful to what, what my family personally had been through. And I know that, and I know it's personal for me. And that's not going to prevent me from saying that Barry Bonds should have gotten in. Roger Clemens should have gotten in. All these players should have gotten in because you can't say with certainty who did and did not do things. The, you, that's like saying that the only people who speed are the people who get speeding tickets. I'm sorry, more people speed than the people who get speeding tickets. Let's be real. So you've got, like, it's just an era that you have to make note of. I've heard people say, make a wing for it. Add an asterisk if somebody gets a positive test. Whatever you need to do, do it. But you are gatekeeping a generation of memories and a generation of icons to a younger generation than your own from getting into the Hall of Fame. And that's a travesty. And we know that these Hall of Fames are bullshit. Ron Borges speaks about our Hall of Famers for the Patriots every year. We know it's stupid. But if you're going to be these pillars of history of your game, then you have a responsibility to tell the story of your, the history of your game. I'm sorry, baseball. Steroids are a part of your history now. You have to accept that. Let the best of the best in and let the story be told. The Black Sox are in. The, in the Hall of Fame with a story that they have a whole little article about them. You're telling that story. I'm sorry. It's time you need to, you should be letting Pete Rosen and you should be telling his story. You can't ignore the bits and pieces that you don't like. It's the Hall of Fame does not only mean the Hall of what we want to say. Fame is about overall achievement and excellence and all that. Yes. And they were the excellent ones on the field or they were famous or infamous for something that has occurred. You should be telling these stories of the best of the best in your game and the setbacks your game has had because it makes the cream of the crop that rises to the top look all the better. Shame on these people for keeping out the best of the best. Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds are Hall of Famers. Let them in. It's stupid they're not. And I know people have varying opinions on that, but it's foolishness to not tell the story of the issues that your league has had. The NFL should be telling stories about concussions in their Hall of Fame. Junior Seau should have some sort of note with him about the concussion issues. 
Like these are all things that should be told because they're marks on the game that tell the story of the history and why you needed to make changes to your game or what what preceded what the game looks like today. If you want the next generation to understand what baseball is, you got to tell the steroid story. If you want the next generation of football to be to, to be known, you've got to tell the concussion story. They're just important things that need to be done, and it's shameful that these people want to bury it out of either shame for what is happening or because the people that play the game are human, and this generation of voters can't understand why they don't live up to the icons of their childhood. Yeah, absolutely well said, and. I'll say this, and I've been saying this for a while, and people are going to be surprised when I say this, but I've, I truly believe this, that when Tom Brady is finally eligible for the Hall of Fame, I don't think he's going to make it in unanimously. And the reason I say that is because there's going to be an asshole who wants to, wants to go viral and wants to get the, get the clicks and views, just like Rob Parker, and they're going to be the one to say, I did it. I didn't vote for Tom Brady because the plate gate, because he's a cheater, because whatever reason they want to make up in their head, there's going to be somebody who doesn't vote for Tom Brady and it's going to be a travesty. And it's, and I can't wait for that moment because it's going to finally invalidate the hall of fame and it's going to expose them for what they really are. They're just a bunch of idiotic writers who, who love their own, love the sound of their own voice. The best example is actually a unanimous one. Derek Jeter is the best example of the backwards logic that's used. They don't want to under, they don't want to tell the story of the fact that Derek Jeter got pitched to because people behind him were taking steroids. He got good pitches and that's taken nothing away from him, but you made a unanimous, unanimous hall of famer out of somebody who is getting more meatballs than other people were because there were steroid users behind them. The team helped, the team helped make Derek Jeter. Just like the everything, every other player in the history of team sport is also made by their colleagues. So it's it's just nonsense across the board. Tell your stories. Do your you know? And the baseball writers they always do this Shaughnessy with you know J- Jeff Kent, but no David Ortiz. Like, come on. And somebody will do that with Brady. I completely agree with you. Somebody will do that with Brady because of the integrity of the game. Well, you know, Peter King will write, you know, about justice and equity for all while <laughs> Darren Sharper is, you know, being defended, being in the Hall of Fame, despite being well, a serial a, rapist. Well, there's a literal wife beater playing in the AFC championship game. But, yeah, white, know, white beater in the that. AFC championship game, serial rapist in the Hall of Fame, and the Pittsburgh Steelers are on day like 17 of honoring a sexual criminal in Ben Roethlisberger. You know, priorities. What, what can yeah, you, say? you know, details. But uh, that's it for Entitled Weekend. You can email Entitled Weekend at EntitledWeekend at gmail.com, or apparently you can DM me. Um, I'm at AtomicDog5150. Steve is at Riser underscore Steven, and you can get Bill at the Fib 0624. Um, we'll be back next week talking about uh, the Super Bowl, wh- whichever way it goes. So again, I don't care which way, but we'll be here talking about that and a whole lot more. So until next time, turn off your radio slugs. <laughs>